Father, we thank you for our time together. We have sang that we want you to fill us with your heart. And now we pray the same thing as we look into your word, that we would be filled with your heart uh, longings for us to follow you and to love you and to be fed by you. We pray that that happens at this, at this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> What makes a church a good church? In recent years, I've heard people refer to some churches as successful churches. Is a successful church the same as a good church? There was a seminary professor who told the story of a pastor that had been assigned a ministry in a very, very tough inner city situation. And the professor said that this situation was not the one that was going to be uh, very conducive to, to growing a big church. So this pastor was advised by a church, church growth expert that he shouldn't stay at that church because there wasn't really a good prospect for significant growth. Now, was that good advice? This morning we're going to be looking into a church from the first century Asia Minor area, and it was located in the city of Philadelphia, the ancient city of Philadelphia. <clears throat> uh, this church in Philadelphia was also in a very tough environment. It was a wealthy area, but it was not going to be easy for a Christian church. And it wasn't just tough for church growth, but it was going to be tough for even church existence. And this church is going to get advice from Jesus himself, and we're going to see that in Revelation chapter 3 and verses 7 through 13. So, let's start with verse 7 of Revelation chapter 3. Jesus is, is dictating to John the Apostle, <clears throat> and he's saying, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, and we've been saying all these letters, these seven letters, are all addressed to the angel of the church. And, you know, scholars aren't certain if it's a, an actual angel from heaven that is delivering the message, or if it's, the, the, the word angel means messenger, so it could be maybe even a human agent that has a heavenly message. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So Jesus is describing himself as the one whose words are holy and true, and he has the key of David. And what Jesus opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. <clears throat> what he's saying is, he is the one who has the authority. He controls what doors are open, what doors are shut. He says he is the holy one. Now, you know, the term holy means to be set apart from the ordinary. It's to be sanctified for a special purpose. 
And in Jesus' case, and God is seen as holy all through the Old Testament, the Holy One. He alone is the one worthy of worship and praise. Now Moses would not even look upon the burning bush for fear that he would die if he saw the face of God. And you see that through the Old Testament. When people thought that they were having an encounter with God, they feared that they would die if they got too close to God or saw his face. And you know, Old Testament priests, when they went into the temple, when they went into the holy place, which wasn't the most inner place, the holy of holies, even when they went into the holy place, they had to do a ritual cleansing to show that God was holy and you had to be clean to go in. And then demons who had supernatural strength and could, you know, break chains and that sort of thing, super super powered, they cowered and trembled in the presence of Jesus because he was the Holy One. We know who you are, the Holy One from God. So Jesus, he is the Holy One of God, and he says he is true. He is the true Messiah. He is the true Son of God that was sent to the earth, you know, to pay the penalty for our sins. He is the genuine Savior. He is the authentic one. And people come in his name sometimes, but they're not true. Only Jesus is the true Messiah, the true Son of God, the true sacrifice for our sins. And Philadelphia, this ancient city... They had this very hostile community of Jewish people who hated the followers of Jesus. And we're going to hear about them in a minute, but that's a setting that these people were in. But Jesus is the one who is absolutely holy. Holy to an extreme or to, to, you know, as much as you can be holy. He was the genuine Messiah, the Son of God, holy and true. And he says he holds the key of David. Now, Christ is and was the long-awaited Messiah who was supposed to come from the line of David. And he did, and we have his genealogy record, and he comes from the line of David. It would have to be somebody from the line of David who could be the Messiah. It was going, that was always in the, in the, predicted in the, uh, gospel, or in the uh, Bible that the Messiah would come from the line of David. So... We're talking about the Davidic line, the kingship, and the kingdom of God. He's the one who holds the key of David when we're talking about the the end-time kingdom of God. And he is the one that opens what no one can shut and shuts what no one can open. So we're seeing here that Jesus has complete authority over the kingdom, the eternal kingdom which we're all trying to get to, which we have to only go through Jesus Christ. People try all kinds of ways, but it's only through Christ. And Jesus is the only one who determines who gets into his kingdom. Now, we're going to get into the letter of this church, and as we do, we'll see why Jesus describes himself in these words. Every time Jesus describes himself in one of these seven letters, It always has to do with the things that the people are going through and how much he can help them in their situation. He describes himself in such strong terms here. Holy and true, 
holding the key of David, and, and he is the complete authorized person who says who gets in. They needed to be reminded of that extreme strength that Jesus has and had. They need to be reminded of how much of power and authority that Jesus you know, had in, in his person. Because in earthly terms, this church was no match for the power people in the community that they were living in. That community had all the power, the church had none of the power. But now we're going to move in, <clears throat> as we move into the rest of this, this letter, we're going to be going beyond earthly terms and we're going to see what true power is. So, watch, look with me if, as we read verse 8. <clears throat> Excuse me, it says, Jesus says to the people, I know your deeds, your works, the things you're doing for me. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, Jesus is talking about they have fierce opposition from the people in their community, their society, even from the authorities, definitely from the Jewish community. That Jewish community hated them. Look what he says there in verse 8. I know your deeds. <clears throat> I know your works. Jesus knows the things that they are doing for him. They're doing things that honor God. They're not denying him in the face of pressure. They're doing things that, you know, trying to spread the gospel message and they're being attacked for it. They're being persecuted for their Christian beliefs and acts. And isn't that the one of the most difficult things to endure? When you're doing what is right for the, for the cause of Christ, or you're doing just what is right, you're trying to help somebody, you're trying to be a good Christian, acts of caring and kindness, but there are people that don't like what you're doing because they don't like the message that you're carrying, or there's some reason they want to stand against you, could be jealousy, could be anything, <clears throat> but here, there was a certain group of people that really hated these Christians, and we'll see that in a minute. So out of evil motives, if you're trying to do something good, or you're trying to help somebody, it could be at work, it could be in the neighborhood, they try to harm you in some way, or stop you in some way, or, or you know, gossip about you, or prevent you from doing good. Spreading false rumors, giving false reports, even threatening your family. And that is in response to your good deeds. That's when it really hurts, isn't it? But look, Jesus says, I know your deeds. So you think that when you're doing something good and people are still attacking you, if that happens, it could be in your workplace, in school, or whatever, you know that Jesus is seeing the good things that you're doing. And he's right with you. And you can see that they are going to be suffering, but Jesus is telling them, I'm seeing everything that you are doing. Because at times, when we do something good and we get punished for it, we're thinking... God, where are you? 
I did this for you. I was following your word. How come we're getting hurt? And Jesus is telling these people who are getting hurt, he says, I know what you're doing. I know your good works. I see your good deeds. And I'm keeping track of everything. Jesus has this list, and he's keeping track of every good deed that you're doing. I think it's good for us to remember that, that God is paying attention to everything we do. And we get scared when we think of him paying attention to some things we do, but there are good things that we do that God is truly paying attention to it. And he knows, Jesus knows when we're being treated unfairly. He knows that we did something good and somebody reacted with something bad. And he knows how unfair that is. And so he's keeping track of all that. And he completely understands. Even though we can't feel it, he completely understands. But look where it's going to go. But you know what they were doing? They were, they were, he says, I know that you have little strength. Yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. <clears throat> that means they were outpowered, you know, they were outstrength, they were outmuscled in their community, and they, they didn't have much strength to, to uh, you know, go against the people that were trying to hurt them. And in, in all of that, they did not deny his name when it could have been easier to do that. So th look at this, what happens next. Can you push that for me? verse 9 there we go thank you he says I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan that's the, these Jews who claim to be Jews though they are not but are liars I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you There is coming a day of reckoning. Jesus said that he has opened a door for them. <clears throat> That's the door to the kingdom. As they're being oppressed, as they are being, you know, persecuted for their the faith in Jesus. And he says, you have little strength, but you've kept my word. You haven't denied me. Look what's going to happen at the end. They are liars, but they are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. You see, that's where the good works are, are heading toward. Followers of Christ, those who are faithful, those who haven't denied his name, those who stay with him and go through all the trials, in the end... When, when God writes all wrongs, this is going to be part of it. He will make those who are persecuting these people come and bow down at their feet and say, you were the ones who were right. They're going to have to say that. That's what's coming. That's what we can think about when we stand strong in the midst of persecution or hatred or somebody mistreating us. We can think about God seeing all of our good works, and at the end, everything will be righted. Talking about great tribulation, when we're doing right, it says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, 
I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, there is argument, there is differences of opinion as to if Christians will go through the great tribulation. And many people think that God will take all Christians out before the great tribulation, and many Christians think that God will have Christians go through the tribulation. And it's been argued over for centuries. And I'll have to say, this looks like he's going to take us out, but I have some bad news. When you translate this, it could go either way. So he hasn't given us the answer in this one. Although it looks like, he says, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. And that word keep can be, it could mean that he takes us out, or it could mean he's going to strengthen us through it. Keep you from the hour, or keep you during that hour of trial. So we'll still have to argue about that. So this church in the city of Philadelphia has shown some true, godly, faithful character. And Jesus is writing them, telling them he knows that they have been treated unfairly. Treated badly for his name's sake. And yet they have not denied his name. They've stood strong for the faith. And he says he's keeping a record of all their faithfulness and perseverance and love for him because he knows their deeds. He knows everything that they've suffered. He knows the good things. He knows their hearts. And he has opened the door to his eternal kingdom to them. Even though these people are attacking them, cutting them down, saying that they don't know what they're talking about, Jesus said he has opened the door to the kingdom. It's up to him who goes into the kingdom. And he has known their deeds. And he is the one who's going to give them the open door even if they've been persecuted or hurt or even killed. Jesus is the one who determines. And he praises them for their faithful uh, testimony against those who had so much more earthly power than them and so much more clout than them and probably had ways to hurt them. And he promises to stand with them even during that great time of tribulation. Somehow, you know, Jesus is going to either help them through it or take them out. And he says that in the end, those who mistreated them and made life miserable for them and mocked them in their Christian faith, they will bow down at their feet and admit that these were the ones who were right and righteous And they were the ones whom Christ is going to now punish. And I'm thinking, wow, what what a future for the faithful follower of Christ. I mean, you know, some people, some, some Christians suffer so horribly for following Christ. And it's been going on ever since Christ, you know, came to the earth and then and then ascended the church has been persecuted somewhere you know in the world and it just continues and some of these places around the world 
People are treated so horribly and so badly. But one day those people are going to bow at their feet, the ones they killed, the ones they persecuted, and say, you guys were right. We're wrong. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is going to talk about his return. And he's going to, at one point, return to the earth to reclaim the earth that Satan has usurped. And when he returns, he's going to make everything right. And good will be proclaimed good, and evil will be declared evil. And he says here in, is that the right one? Here he is in verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. <clears throat> now you may wonder about the word soon there. This was somewhere around 90 A.D. or somewhere around there. But you have to look at it at God's timetable because he sees everything all at once. And he's working things through. And to him, you know, Peter says, a day in the Lord's eyes, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. It's all the same to him. And so he's very patient and he's worked out this plan of salvation all the way from the beginning. And he's taken humanity through so many different stages and ages. And he's working it out so that one day, you know, everything will be made right. And sin will be extinguished forever and ever and ever. But it takes all that to do that. We don't understand that. I don't understand that. <clears throat> But everything that he's done throughout human history, he's working towards extinguishing all sin and unrighteousness and himself being glorified and us sharing his kingdom. The apostle Peter says, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day to God. And he's, he's being patient, allowing people to come and be saved through him. And he says, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Again, Jesus is talking about perseverance during hard times. This letter is about standing strong through tough times. Standing strong when we want to give up. When we could just cross over to the other side real easily and get people to like us or people to quit persecuting us. And here again, Jesus is talking about perseverance. Hold on to your faith in Christ. So many people today are turning away from Jesus Christ for all different kinds of reasons. It could be for mistreatment or persecution or just disappointment. Or they see something they can't believe God would allow that to happen. Why didn't God stop that? Why does God allow this? But you know, if you give up on Christ in difficult times... Or if you allow yourself to be drawn away from Christ because the Christian faith is causing you some, some pain or disappointment or you can't answer a certain question. If we do that, we will be eternally sorry because we will see everything as it should be at one point. And we will, we will feel so stupid if we turned away from Christ. Remember the Apostle Peter <clears throat> Well, when Jesus fed the 5,000 
And the people all gathered to eat the food, and they were so happy that they were getting fed. And then they, they said to Jesus, they had a um, suggestion. They said, you know, Moses fed the people of Israel for 40 years from, from you know, food from the air. And so they're saying, Jesus, can we keep this going? And he said, Moses isn't the one that fed you. God fed you. He gave you the bread from heaven. He goes, I am the bread from heaven. And so they're looking at Jesus thinking, "Eh, that wasn't really what we were thinking about. And it says in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, at that point, many left him. Because those are the ones who were just following for the food. He turned to his disciples and he said, will you leave also? And Peter, who doesn't always get it right, he got it right. He said, who else should we go to? You are the one with the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And you see, Peter didn't give this great big treatise on why he knows he went through the he didn't go through all the birth chain and everything to show that, yeah, you're the one, <clears throat> and give all the facts behind it. He just said, and he couldn't, you know, the, he, he didn't have that capacity to really go through that at that time. He just said, who else are we going to go to? You have the answer. And Peter has eternal life. And so... You know, people leave for all kinds of reasons. They leave because they can't understand this, why God allowed this. They leave because they're getting hurt here and they're doing good. And why would good God do that? But see, Peter had the answer. Who else will we go to? And we have even more of the answer. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Who else is going to rise from the dead? We have to be connected to Christ to be able to rise from the dead. So Jesus is saying, stay with me, hang in there. And some people will will get persecuted severely, some will be killed horribly, some won't have to go through anything near that. That's just the way God's working it out. And he has a reason for everything he does. And we'll find out later. But whoever stays with Christ, they're the winners. And now... In verse 12, Jesus says, the one who is victorious, and that's the one who stays with Christ through hard times, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Now, he's talking about the person who perseveres and makes it to the end with Christ will be made a pillar in the temple of my God. And we may think, I don't want to be a pillar. Maybe some other type of thing, but I don't want to be a pillar. But actually, you know, when you read in the book of Revelation, there is no temple, there is no physical temple because of the lamb, the father and the lamb are the temple. And so he's talking figuratively here. See, a pillar is is a stable, secure, strong foundation, part of the foundation. And so 
He's saying, you will be a permanent part of my kingdom. You will be a strong, you know, uh, important, permanent part, stable part of my kingdom. And it's Jesus who has the keys to the kingdom. Permanence and stability. And <clears throat> one reason that could have been so important to these people in the ancient city of Philadelphia is because way back decades before, 17 AD, they had this massive earthquake in the city and almost everybody had to leave the city and go you know, buy farmland and start farming and they lost all that they had. And even though it was a long time ago, it was something that, you know, was recorded and everybody knew about. And, you know, once it happens, once there's an earthquake, you don't know if it's ever going to happen again, right? I mean, so they may have had that thought that this is the place where the earthquake was. And so Jesus is saying, and many people think, scholars think that they could, he could be referring to this insecurity that they have. That, you know, we never know when the next one's going to hit. And, you know, we think of that, don't we? Especially people who live by hurricane places where hurricanes hit. I mean, I can't imagine. You know, that, that happens every once in a while. And you never know where it's going to happen. And everybody has to just leave town. That just seems incredible to me. But Jesus is saying, I'll make you a pillar in the kingdom of God. Whoever turns to Jesus, whoever hangs on to him through the tough times, no matter what it costs, that person will become a stable pillar in the kingdom of God. That tells us that we will be totally secure in the love and safety of the Father. No more threats, no more dangers, no more evil. No one abandoning the faith. It will be personal fulfillment like we've never been experienced before. <clears throat> I think of, you know, when you talk about pillar, I think of the security, personal security. You know, sometimes, sometimes we are insecure. Sometimes people are insecure all the time, and other times we're insecure in certain circumstances. And I know that when I was in grade school, I was a pretty insecure person at school. And if you've been an insecure person, just imagine what it'll be like when we're in the arms of Christ or we're in the kingdom forever. And we have no insecurity. We have complete peace. We have no worries about, you know, people taking advantage of us. That'd be pretty cool. And so, <clears throat> he will make him a temple, make him a pillar in the temple of my God, never again will they leave it. And then, in verse 12, the end of verse 12, he says, I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. You know, when God writes his name on us, that means we belong to him. He's, he's identifying us as his. 
So through the one who is victorious, who stays true to Christ no matter what, that person will belong to God the Father, and that will be his heavenly identity, a child of the heavenly Father. And that person will also belong to the new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven and will be the glorious capital of the whole world, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, landing upon the new earth with, the, with Jesus Christ and God the Father on their thrones. And Christ will also write on us his new name. Now, it doesn't say what his new name is, but whenever somebody was named, they were named after the circumstances or, or the way that God blessed them. And, and it could be that Christ's new name will relate to his final victory over sin and death. Because he's coming down, he's going to reclaim the earth, he's going to make everything right, and it could be that his new name will just be, you know, come from that, from who he is as he rules over this new earth. As the Lamb of God who purchased our salvation and conquered sin and death. And won't that be really something when that time comes, when Jesus Christ, you know, he comes to the earth, he reclaims the earth, and he is crowned king over the whole world, you know, to the glory of God the Father. And then he will receive a new name, and we will receive that name. So this church in the ancient city of Philadelphia seems to have been a model church. <clears throat> and in this passage, they are pretty much, you know, kind of exalted, you know, for their faithfulness, for their toughness, for their perseverance. And I mentioned earlier that about churches being considered successful. But you know, you see that here in America where they're talking about successful churches. You don't see that so much in persecuted countries. They don't talk about successful churches. And last week we saw the church at Sardis. They had a reputation of being alive. And so I guess inside the church and probably in their community, they just, they just had this positive reputation. And Christ said they were at death's door. We might say they were successful by earthly standards, but not by God's standards. And here we have this church in Philadelphia, whom Jesus said had very little strength. And the synagogue of Satan was pounding down upon it. But one day, they would bow down to this church. And they would have to admit that Christ loved them. So the big strength here is faithfulness and perseverance. And they were going to receive all the rewards at God's end time awards assembly. And others who only pursued earthly prominence or success will have wished they hadn't been so faithless or self-serving or crowd-pleasing. So we're not really looking for earthly success are we <clears throat> I mean if it, if it comes we'll take it you know if if uh, we're doing it in the right way but we're really looking for complete faithfulness to Christ aren't we 
It's nice to have people think highly of us, but not at the cost of having Jesus disappointed in us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these letters that are teaching us so much. And Lord, we pray that we can be true to what you tell us in these letters so that we could be filled with your truth and we acknowledge you as the Holy One and you who hold the key of David. And we pray that you would help us to make good decisions to follow you and to point others to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.